Norris, good morning. Come on, let's give God some praise. Hey, um, do you know do you know what I love? I love how the weather just changes our 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 lives. You know what I mean? Like the weather just starts getting warmer, and even if it rains a little bit, it just makes we're just happier people, aren't we? When the weather, some of you are like, well, I don't know. You know, we are. There's just like this responsiveness. I wish it's so. It's this is crazy to me. Not really, because I've been doing this for a while. But when the weather starts changing, and I, I there's this, the spirit in the house changes. <laughs> Let this just be a, like a small little indicator to you that you bring something with you when you come into God's house. You carry something with you, and um, there's nothing better than to be in a house filled with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's filled with a spirit of overflow and praise. Amen? And uh, I love it. I love what God's doing in the life of the church. If you're here today for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. And uh, we really count, count it a privilege and an honor that you're with us today. And um, we've been in a, a, a series uh, called Take Heart. Everybody say, Take Heart. No, say it like you mean to say, Take Heart. And we've been in this series, and I, I pray it's, it's helped you. It's been challenging to me, but we've been centering this entire series around this one verse found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16, verse 33. It goes like this. It says, Jesus, uh, he says, I have told you these things so that in me, everybody say, in me, you may have what? Peace. Peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. I love this dynamic because when we read this, Jesus is saying to us, listen, it, it, just, just in case you, you, you hear it from someone else, hear it from me first. This is Jesus. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficulty. There's going to be issues in your life. Not everything's going to be perfect. I'm telling you this. I'm your Savior. I'm your Lord. You're going to have trouble. But you can find peace in the midst of trouble. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. Now, i got to tell you, um, have you ever been around someone that almost, hmm, how do I say this, in an attempt to demonstrate that they love the Lord or do other things, they almost seem um, fake, not real, almost like this sense, is it really possible not to lose heart? It almost seems unattainable. It almost seems like impossible not to not to lose heart, but I think we need to, we, we really need to hear the entirety of this, this, this specific verse to understand what Christ is saying. He's saying, there, it's not as if you're, you're going to, you're never going to have issues of loss. We're all going to experience loss. That's, that's not the question here. It's not even the real issue. The real issue is that when you experience loss in some area of your life, is to not by the lie that comes from the enemy that when you lose one thing or something that you've lost everything. <laughs> Sometimes in life when you feel like you've lost one or two things, it feels like all of a sudden, no, I've lost everything. Everything is against me. I've lost everything. But that's not the case. And so it's almost identifying and being aware of the fact that in Christ, I cannot lose everything. I cannot lose everything. And why? Because he has overcome the world. I want, I want to, I heard this, I heard this, this quote. It says, there's always good reason to lose heart. Always good reason to lose heart. But there's reason, but the reasons to take heart, listen now, are always greater and bigger and longer lasting. Somebody say amen. I want to read you this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is a powerful portion of Scripture, and you're going to have to bear with me this morning because I'm not going to just read it to you and move on. <laughs> I really want to read it to you the way that I read Scripture. Then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's a painful way to read Scripture. I know, I know. Okay, I, I already know before we get into it. There's so much in the text. There's so much that's, that's in the Word of God, the inspired, divine Word of God. Our lives are to be instructed by it. We're to live according to it. It is the bread of life. We don't live by what we just eat, but we, we, we dwell and feed upon every word that came from the, from the mouth of God. Everything within the Word of God, it is for our benefit in growing in our, in our walk with Jesus. Listen to what it says. It begins by saying this, therefore, since we are surrounded, everybody say surrounded. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I just want to pause there. We're going to pause a lot, but I want you to get this. Those who are in Christ, you're surrounded in a good way. It's not this intimidated way like, oh, people are watching me. I can't believe this. And I shared in the first, first service, I, I, I was surrounded one time at a, at a, at a, at a, at a club where, where people were trying to fight me. I've been surrounded before, but, but I haven't been surrounded by an entire enemies of people I've, in a sense of fear. But in this context, the Word of God says, no, no, you are surrounded not by adversaries, not by people who are in opposition to you. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses, it's that, that Greek word, martyrion, this testimonies or, or sharing your testimonies. You're surrounded by witnesses. You are surrounded by great men and women of faith who are seated in glory with God. And you know what they're doing? They're encouraging you on. Therefore, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Some of you just need to recognize you're not in this up by yourself. Tell somebody, say, you're not alone. Just tell somebody, say, you're not alone. Tell them, say, you're not alone. Tell somebody, you're not alone. I don't normally do that, but you're being too quiet. If you're not going to talk to me, you're going to talk to your neighbor, okay? Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is what it continues to say. Let us throw off everything. Everybody say everything. Throw off everything. What are we throwing off? Everything that hinders Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Some of you are interested in, and okay with being, with being tempted by things. Being in places and around certain people and participating in certain events that tempt you and easily entangle you and hinder you from honoring God. This scripture declares that you should throw off everything that hinders you. Have nothing to do with it. Throw it off from you so that you don't get caught or entangled in sin. And then it continues on. It continues on. Listen now. And it says, and let us, speaking of those who are in Christ, let us run. Everybody say run. Now listen. He's going to tell you how to run. He's going to tell you how to run. Now you, you may have heard this verse before, but I want you to understand. When he explains how to run, he's explaining the posture, the movement, the intentionality, the focus of how you run, how you run. I don't know about you, but I run one way, it's slow. That's how I run. So you're like, what do you want to do? I'll, I will run slow. That's it. That's all I got. And um, my brother-in-law, he uh, runs marathons, and uh, he actually uh, gets excited about it. Um, I know, it's crazy. And so, but some people do that, okay? And if you're one of those people, 
I love you too. You know what I mean? I, I just, it's not me. I don't, but this, the text says that our journey with Jesus, our journey with Jesus, it is a race. It is a race. And he's, he's telling us in this text, the word of God is declaring to us that when we run this race, we run it this way. He's telling us how to do it. Ready? He said he's run it with perseverance. Perseverance. It's not like run it fast, run it, run it with strength, run it with agility, run it with, no, no, run it with, he could have used any word, but he uses this word, perseverance. Run it with perseverance. Perseverance. Can I tell you, if you're running with perseverance, it means that you have in mind difficulty will be before you, but perseverance means I endure in spite of it. If I run with perseverance, I am not shocked when difficulty comes because my posture is in such a way that I've been anticipating difficulty, therefore I am prepared to deal with it. <laughs> if you're shocked by it, you are not running with perseverance. You are running from something or to something else. But if you run the race that is before you with perseverance, it means I'm prepared for anything that's before me. I'm not discouraged. Are you with me? Now listen, as it continues, as it continues, it says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Have you ever felt lost, not knowing what direction to go, not certain, should I go this way, should I go that way? This text says you need to run the race that's marked out. Is it marked out? Sometimes I'm like, wait a second, where are the markers at? You know what I mean? Which, did I miss something? Did I miss something? I remember when I was in, um, when I was studying in junior college, at the time it was called Gloucester County College, they had all the, um, the, the people who loved running. Um, they were running around the, what, what sport is that? Cross country, I'm sorry. And, um, <laughs> I ran too, I swear I did. The most I ever ran was when I wrestled in college, we would have to run like th uh, three to five miles every day. And for like two years of my life, I ran that every day and it was, it was the worst experience of my life. But um, I remember watching cross country, they would run and they, they would just run and they would run and they would run, but they would mark out the, the, the path with just spray paint, you know what I mean? But I found it interesting one time when I was, we were, we were stretching, getting ready to go on our run that a small group had, had disconnected from the larger group that were running and um, they must have missed the mark on the thing. And the mark clearly said, go that way. And they went that way. And uh, it was one of the, it was one of those, you kind of like the third person witnessing when someone else has the aha moment, like we've been running the wrong direction the entire time. Kind of, and they see the other people running that way and oh crap, you know, and they turn around, they go, I don't know about you, but in my journey with the Lord, like I felt like that at times. Like where I think I'm going the right direction and then all of a sudden I see everyone else there. And I'm thinking like, oh no, I've made a wrong turn somewhere. And then you're trying to backtrack and pretend like no one sees you. And you're like, now nah, we're watching you. You're just going the wrong way. Which can I just tell you, that's okay in church. That's all right. If you find someone who really loves the Lord, they'll be honest with you and say, I've done that plenty of times. You're not the only one. But in Hebrews it says, run the race with perseverance, the race that is marked out before you. Where are the markers? Where are the markers? He tells you. You, you, you would be shocked what you would learn if you, if you immerse yourself in this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be smart to you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself this too. Because many times we, 
we'll go on Amazon and try to find a book about depression or anxiety or a book about purpose, a book about meaning, about careers and passions and excitement. You just pick up this. It's the truth. It's the bread of life. It guides and directs you in every season of your life. And in this, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's saying that run the race with perseverance, that race that is marked out for you. He's telling you where the markers are. It's in the next, it's in the next verse. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. What are the markers? The markers are Jesus. Always have been, always will be. The author and the perfecter of our faith. The pioneer of our faith. Meaning he goes before us. He, he demonstrates and lived out this, this demonstration or this perfection of our faith as an example before us. I love it. Do you know why? Because there's no ambiguity in it. There's no confusion in it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. You know what we do? We chase all the other things as indicators and markers in our life and that's why we so often get lost and confused. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Do you know why? Because it's in following him. It's in running this race of perseverance, fixing our eyes upon him, that he leads us to a place in understanding how to live a faith-filled life how to live a faith-filled life. The verse continues, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the Clearview pioneers, the pioneer and the perfecter. I just say that because a lot of y'all are from Delcy and Kingsway. The, the pioneer and the perfecter. It's, it's really one of the only biblical high schools. I just kidding, here we go. The perfecter of faith. He demonstrates this, this faith perfected. How? It's right after it, it, it shows us. It shows us how he, he, he at one moment perfected this faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, the text says. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know what he's saying? Every time you go through difficulty, consider Christ. Consider Christ. Have you ever sat down with someone and told them how hard of a time you're having? You're completely oblivious that they are in the same, they're in a season of difficulty too. But as they begin to share with you their season of difficulty, your season of difficulty just starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Your season of difficulty might have been because you lost your job, but their season of difficulty is because they just lost their spouse and you don't even know. I don't know about you, but I've been in conversations where I'm kind of just sharing my heart and there's nothing wrong with it, but why, do, why does everything change when someone else is going through greater difficulty compared to me? Because it instills perspective immediately in my journey. And I start thinking, oh man, my pain is nothing compared to their pain. That hardship is nothing compared to my hardship. That's why it says in the text, every time you go through difficulty, consider him. Consider Jesus. Consider the opposition that he endured by sinners. Consider that. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart in thinking that you've lost everything. There's something significant in this. I, I don't want you to miss this. 
when the word says that he is the pioneer or the author, he is the, the, the pace setter, he is the one that goes before us, he is unchanging, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the perfecter of our faith. It means that he leads by demonstrating. He sets in motion these principles of obedience and faith that we are to follow in his steps. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Do you know there's a difference between uh, felt needs and, and forever needs? Um, felt needs are the immediate gratification of someone who needs the fulfillment now, now, now. They feed our flesh, not our spirit. So in conversations, well, whatever it may be, you, you can fill in the gap. Any immediate gratification, our, our, our culture is is be, becoming a culture filled with lack, a lack of self-discipline and a lack of self-control. Why? Because we are so used to immediate gratification in everything, everything in our life. And Christ is laying out this demonstration of how to be self-controlled and how to be disciplined and it's saying that he endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? Because it was the joy that was set before him. What was before him but pain and opposition in the cross? No, you have to continue to read, to understand. Listen, he's demonstrating faith. This is the perfection of faith, seeing beyond what is here. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It is the assurance about what we do not yet see. All he saw was the cross, but he counted it as joy. Why? Because he saw himself seated on the right hand of the throne of God. And that is the joy that's beyond the cross. And he's trying to lead us with this faith. He's trying to get us to see, you will be in difficulty. You will experience pain, but take heart. Why? For I have overcome the world. So you have to be able to connect his victory with your battles. If you cannot connect his victory to your battles, you'll feel all alone. It's like there's no connection to it. Lost my marriage, lost my job, lost my health, lost all these things. How is it connected to it? Because he is your provider, because he is your healer, because he is your father, and he's your savior. Somebody say amen. It's in all of those things. Paul gives us a simple yet profound truth about dealing with life's losses. And this is what he says, walk by faith. Walk by faith. We use this word faith all the time so casually, I don't think we understand the significance of what we're saying. We're saying I can look straight into the eye of what I see as a sickness and say that I'm believing for healing. How are you believing for healing? Because I have a now faith, an ever-present faith, not a past faith, not a future faith, a now faith, which is confidence in what I hope for. And I hope and believe in the name of Jesus. And he brings and ushers in healing. And I have an assurance that healing will come even though the doctor says he sees sickness. It's speaking that way. It's living in that accordance of faith. And by the way... It, listen to me now, listen to me now. This is for you. Now. Now, this is for you to live by faith. Don't need a special service to anoint everybody. If you surrender your life to Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit of, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. <laughs> the prerequisites of its power, it's the same power that raised Christ from the grave. So, 
Oh, man. We, we walk in ignorance almost because we don't know any better, but we have such authority in Christ. Such authority in Christ. Such power, not because of our own, but because of the righteousness of Christ and what he bought on Calvary by bleeding and dying, defeating sin and death. And when you say yes to Jesus and receive salvation by grace through faith, something changes in your spirit. And it's not activated by fear. It's not activated by anxiety. It's not activated by crying or wailing before God. It's activated by faith. And that's why in Hebrews it says that we run this race of perseverance and we follow and then we fix our eyes on who? The author and the perfecter of our faith, which is who? Jesus Christ. And it's in pursuing him that we begin to learn, no, 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 I live by faith and not by sight. That's why Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. What is Paul saying? Stop living a life by everything that you see. It is real, but it is temporary. A faith life sees real things, but it also sees eternal things that never pass away. Yeah, yeah. See, 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 faith is, is it's foolishness to those who do not believe. It does not make sense. Yeah. It's silliness. But to those who are saved, <laughs> it's the power of God. It does something to our spirit. It enables us to be overcomers. There's something significant. If, if, ask yourself, do I live by faith? Do I live by faith? Do, are, my steps, are my steps ordered by God? Am I walking in faith and confidence? And you might say, well, I, 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 some days I feel like I am and other days I'm not. You have the power and the ability and you are called to live by faith. To live by faith. As we continue in this text in 2 Corinthians, if we go a chapter before in verse 4, chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 16, Paul continues further. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day by day we're being renewed. How? By the word of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We're being renewed. We're being refined. Into what? Into the best us? No, not into the best you. Into the image of Christ. Into his image, not the best us. Listen, if you're not careful, everything you'll hear from around, from, from you know, uh, leadership books to get yourself better books to all of these things making you think that your best life is found in the best you. No, it's in honoring God. It's in pursuing Jesus. It's in reflecting him. That's your best life. It's your purpose life. It's your created life. Amen? Therefore, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Can I just tell you something? If you're going through a difficult, difficult season, I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, for, you, for our light and momentary troubles. Why does he say that? Because Paul understands that there are temporary pains and there are eternal pains. And he knows any temporary pain that we experience here will be nothing compared to eternal pain apart from God. That's why Paul says, see, some of you read that and you get offended by Paul because you say, you don't know what I'm going through. Paul doesn't need to know what you're going through. He knows what you will go through apart from living with God. And so he can say to someone who just lost a child, who just lost a spouse, he can say to someone who's experiencing great 
physical pain, emotional torment. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And some of us might say, I don't understand that. How can that be? Because there is eternal things and our temporary things. And Paul knows that the forever needs that we have are found and they are fully met in Jesus Christ. So we fix our eyes. Again, he says this. So we fix our eyes. If you see the, the text, it always weaves together. It does not contradict. We were just coming from Hebrews. Now we're in 2 Corinthians and verse 18. It says, so we fix our eyes. Listen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can I tell you, progress is not always visible. It's not always visible. But God's stirring things that may be happening in the unseen invisible realm. <laughs> I know it seems silly. It seems crazy. We can't understand it all, but I believe there's an unseen realm, a spiritual realm, because I am a person of faith, and I believe that, that God continues to work on our behalf when we don't even see it. That many times we go through life, and there are unseen things that have saved us from calamity and from pain, but we just miss it. But he's there, he's ever-present, he's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's faithful. He demonstrates everything to us. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. There's a power in it. Let's fix our eyes on the invisible, demonstrating the importance of the eternal realm, how it far exceeds the temporal one. Some of you I remember when we first started the church and, and um, it was like your journey with the Lord is, is so unique because as God reveals himself to you, everyone is on a different journey. If there's a million steps in our life, I could be on step 251,000 and you could be on step seven. <laughs> and God reveals himself to us in different ways throughout our journey. And the cool thing about doing life together with one another as we share our perspectives of who God is, we all gain a greater understanding of God. And I just love it. But I remember when we started the church, I remember, I remember at the end of the services giving an altar call for people to receive salvation, which is an eternal significant thing. And I remember a lot of the church kind of just chatting, putting all their stuff in the purses. Actually, it sounded like they were throwing stuff at their purses, you know, kicking their chairs over. And I'm just thinking like, what, what, wait, wait, what is going on? And you know what I realized? That there was a misunderstanding of the significance of the, and the significance and the importance, the eternal importance as to what happens at the end of a service. Oh, it's just when they do this. No, 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 it's not just when they do this. That is living a life by only seeing the visible things. It's not a faith life. A faith life says, no, there are unseen eternal things happening right now. They may not be visible to you, but God's changing the hearts of people in his presence. The Holy Spirit's doing something in this place, and I will be attentive to the unseen things that God is doing in this place. <laughs> it's an act of maturity. There's this one portion of scripture found in 2 Kings chapter 6. I love this, this story. You, you need to read it. It's about the prophet Elisha. And, and, and the story picks up, and I'm going to go through it quickly just for the sake of time, but he, he's basically surrounded, the prophet of God, surrounded by the Syrian army, and it's an intense army. It is a full-on army wanting to kill him. And he's there. He's there with his army, <laughs> which is just a servant. 
It's just two of them. Now, if there's ever a time to lose heart, it would probably be when you are surrounded by tens of thousands of men with swords and, chari and chariots, um, swords and chariots ready to kill you. And it's probably a good time to say, ah, I think I'm going to lose heart. As we begin to read the text and the story unfolds, you notice that Elisha doesn't lose heart. It's like he stares the army down and he's okay. I have to tell you, if I was his servant, I'd probably be thinking like, you're crazy. You're a crazy man. I've just been following a crazy man. This dude's a crazy man. What's going to happen? We're all going to die. But he doesn't, he doesn't change. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something significant happens. Elisha prays this prayer. God, let him see the unseen things. And he's saying, God, let him see you at work. Let him see you at work. And then scripture records instantly the servant lifts his eyes and he notices that the army, the Syrian army that's getting ready to oppress him is surrounded by the army of God. Chariots of fire around his adversaries. Can I tell you, when you know that God is for you and working on your behalf in the invisible unseen things, it'll change your posture. Even in light of the seen things. <laughs> I, can I tell you something? Sometimes we need an Elisha to stand beside us and say, you need to see the unseen things. You need to see God at work in your situation. You may not see it, but pray that God will allow you to see the unseen things. It's my prayer for you, that you can see the unseen things. I know you're in a difficult season, and I know sometimes it's just like, man, I don't get it. I don't see how it's working. I'm telling you God's working on your behalf. And even though the enemy intended to harm you, God will use it for your good, and he's going to do something through it. Nothing is wasted with God. I want to close on this verse. It says in Hebrews 12, 7, it says, endure hardship. Endure hardship as, listen, endure hardship as. As what? As discipline. As discipline. Let it do a work in your heart. Discipline simply means to train and to equip. Let hardships be seen as discipline. Let it train and equip you. God is treating you as his children, it says. For what child is not disciplined by their father? Continues on, it says no discipline, which simply means training and equipping. No training and equipping seems pleasant at the time. <laughs> but painful. It says, but later on, However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Can I tell you something? All the hardship you're in right now, know that your forever needs are met in Christ. And that the hardships you're experiencing right now, let them be as discipline from God. Let them train you. Let them equip you. Let it refine you. Let it purify you. Let it do something to push you closer to the presence of God. Let it make you better and not bitter. Let it make you more holy. Let it make you more humble and less prideful. Let it make you more grateful. Let it make you more thankful and, and demonstrate greater self-control. Can I tell you something what I love about the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5? I didn't read this in the last service. Um... In Galatians 5, it lists the fruits of the Spirit that are attainable to walk in if Christ lives in you. These are not far-fetching things. The things are saying, oh, I wish I could. You can by the power of God that lives in you. 
I, I, I just, you need to get out of your own way. You need, you, some of you are talking yourself into a pit every day before you get out of bed. Some of, you, some of you are talking yourself into discouragement. Some of you are talking yourself into being miserable. Some of you are talking yourself into being poor, talking yourself into physical pain, talking yourself into mental anguish, talking yourself out of your marriage, talking yourself out of relationships, talking yourself out of having self-control and kindness and patience and joy and love. Listen to what the Word says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Kindness, or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and my favorite, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Listen now, I wanted to read you this last verse. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Let us honor God in the way that we serve him. Let me pray for you. Keep you bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our hearts today. Father, I thank you that your word refines us, it feeds us, it equips us, it trains us in all ways. And Father, I pray right now, I pray right now for people who are dealing with hardship. Father, I know that hardship, should we should count it as joy. Why? Because we know that our eternal things are secured in you. And that, Father, all pain that we face here, that, Father, that in our suffering we will share in your glory. It does something to us. It refines us. It actually enables us to become more like you. Father, let this discipline have its work in us so we can be trained by it. Let it produce in us a peace, a peace of righteousness. Something significant, Father. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. Working in the unseen areas of our marriages, working in the unseen areas of our finances, of our health, Father, going before us in ways that we just cannot see. And I'm grateful for it. The times when you spared us and you saved us and you set us apart and we were oblivious to it. Father, we thank you for all those times that you've saved us and we were oblivious to it. Father, bless every marriage, bless every business, bless every single person who is present here today. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you and I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. 
I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I wanna encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody. Whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy, Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you, find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.